What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 28 of Dart Against Humanity. If I'm going to record an episode of Dart Against Humanity, I have to actually make sure that I have between 45 minutes to an hour to sit and do this whole thing continuously. Because again, as I told you, I don't do this from any setup. I just talk directly into an iPhone. So there are a lot of people that ask me, yo, how do you get your podcast to sound like that? Dude, I have a iPhone held up to my face and I speak into it. As smart as y'all think I am, there's a lot of shit that I am not good at. And one of them is uh, anything having to do with anything technical in terms of recording. I'm not going to do any editing. I'm not going to do any shit like that. So every episode of Dart Against Humanity you've ever heard was me unfiltered talking straight into my phone. But why it hasn't gone completely off the rails is because, again, I'm an adult and I like to have facts or even if I'm speculating on something, I have to do something where it's like an educated guess where it's going to actually make sense. I like to come from a place of knowledge or disseminating information or breaking down misinformation. So that puts me in a space where I can easily speak into this phone and not get sick of hearing myself think because I'm not thinking about it. Towards the end of each episode, I kind of realize that I've gone through everything and I'm sick of hearing my voice. And then that's where we get into trouble. And the episode just ends because I don't want to have to do a sign off. So uh, what we were talking about before via social media, when I said I was going to do this episode days ago, was the cancellations of Netflix series that, again, were Marvel properties like... Luke Cage, and then they announced first they announced the um, cancellation of Iron Fist after the second season which was a dramatic improvement from the first season then they announced that they were um, canceling Luke Cage right after they released um, season 3 of Daredevil now for those of you that haven't been paying attention, I'd say that the height there have been two heights of the Netflix Marvel MCU universe as far as quality is concerned. I believe the first height was right at the beginning when they released um, Daredevil Season 1 and followed it up with uh, Jessica Jones Season 1. A lot of people couldn't get into Jessica Jones Season 1 for whatever reason. I thought it was brilliant. I thought it was well done. I thought it had probably overall the best villain of any of the series in um. Kilgrave, who we know as comic book fans know as Purple Man. Marvel heads know as Purple Man. They executed that one almost perfectly. I think it ran 13 episodes, so some people just couldn't get in with, couldn't really hang with those 13 episodes. I think they did it almost perfectly. And then we go into the rest of the series. Now, here's the thing. Um, I think that there are a lot of people that got into certain... Uh, Marvel Netflix series, they weren't necessarily fans of the comic books or the original properties. So there were some aspects of the shows that they liked that they just liked. And they didn't really have anything to like base it off of. They were casual fans. I think that was the case um, with Luke Cage. A lot of people really loved Luke Cage and Luke Cage kind of opened the door for Black Lightning to exist in the space of like Black Panther the whole black excellence wave 
comic book heroes. So a lot of people loved certain things about Luke Cage. And those of us that grew up on Luke Cage, we knew that Luke Cage from the 70s was not going to be on our screens in 2016. They had to change things. They had to update some stuff. They had to adapt it. Um, they had to deal with uh, the modern era in terms of how they were going to present Luke Cage. They didn't want Luke Cage to be something that they were going to be wincing at. Uh, uh, Chio Coker, Chio Hodari Coker, I guess he really didn't want to have to deal with the thing that like Dave Chappelle did when he did certain sketches on the Dave Chappelle show and white people were re repeating the words from the skits. So, you know, he put in a whole bunch of things that, you know, kind of buffered him against that. You know what I'm talking about? You know, um, we ain't, we ain't see or hear the N word used too often. Or we had Luke like, I don't want to hear that word. And a lot of people just bristled at that like, oh, God, here we go with this with these on um, politics here. Um, but I understood why he did it. There were certain things about Luke Cage that being that I I'm I was born in 1975 again I'm old and Luke Cage was among the first heroes that I really got into there was Luke Cage there was um the Falcon who was also like the hero of Harlem when even when he was running around with Captain America you know you have the Black Panther T'Challa these are people these are com combo characters that I've been wanting to see on the silver screen or on the small screen my entire life. What does that mean? That means that I'm going to be more critical than the average casual fan because I've been reading them damn near my entire life. I've been reading comic books since 1978. I really started to understand them because I was a kid between uh, 81, 82, and then going forward, comic books kind of helped me understand storytelling and pacing and character development on a level that like later films helped me with. So let me just say that the Luke Cage series, while it did pretty well and it got people hyped, it fell short in a lot of different areas and I found it disappointing in several different facets. So when the Luke Cage series cancellation was announced, it immediately uh, struck a nerve with a bunch of people. Now, the thing is that I saw this for what it was. In 2019, the Marvel Netflix partnership is going to end. Matter of fact, I believe the last two Marvel films that are going to be, um, or, or maybe just one, that are going to be even distributed on Netflix are Ant-Man and the Wasp and possibly um, Infinity War. Infinity War, I don't know if it's on Netflix yet, but I know it's out there. But I know Ant-Man and the Wasp is out there now and it's about to be on Netflix. So those so either just that one film, Ant-Man and the Wasp, or Infinity War and Ant-Man and the Wasp will probably hit Netflix around the same time. And from my understanding is they're going to stay on Netflix, but that's going to be it. 
There will never Captain Marvel will never appear on Netflix. Uh, Infinity War, the part two will never appear on Netflix and so on and so on and so on. And also with the cancellation of with the cancellation of Iron Fist and Luke Cage, pretty much what it's telling me is that we're going to have to see something different happen or they're going to have to be a new negotiation or something happen with the Marvel partnership with Netflix. Because since their partnership is going to end in 2019, that means that these shows are never going to get another season under the under the um the agreement ending. You have to remember in order to do a series, you have to first um train for it. You have to cast it. You have to write it. Then you have to come up with the costumes. Then you got to get that budget. Then you got to do all the storyboarding. You have to do all this entire process. Then you have to figure out when you're going to film. Then you're going to have to shoot it. Then after you shoot it, now it's in the can. Now you got to do the editing. Now you got to do the, the, the post-production stuff. Put in like this different effects. Add in extra scenes if you have to. You know, do all that stuff. Then you get it ready. Then you announce the date. Then you release it. For any series going forward, that's going to come after the deal's already over. So, the Daredevil, you know when the Dare, when Daredevil Season 3 was shot? And it comes out now? Think about how much time would have to pass. So, we're never getting a third season. I mean, we're never getting a fourth season of Daredevil. We got the three seasons. We got it just right in under in 2015. We, got, we snuck in those three seasons. We got those two seasons of Jessica Jones. In theory, there could be a third season of Jessica Jones. I don't see it happening. So I think the Jessica Jones uh, announcement might be coming, forthcoming, if it already hasn't. I'm pretty sure they, I don't know if they were shooting or they already shot a season two of Punisher. They probably already did. I believe it's coming in 2019. That would make sense. It would come in and be done and be ready. And they announced the date right before the deal's over. Because the the Disney uh the Disney the Disney streaming service is going to be called Disney Play, and it's rumored to start in fall 2019. So I feel like by the time it starts, the Netflix Marvel partnership is already over but they're not going to remove the marvel movies again they're not going to remove the marvel movies that are already on netflix from it as far as i know and supposedly there's no um there's no thing saying that they're going to um stop doing marvel shows on netflix as far as i know but if they do the ones that they already have on there they're definitely canceled so this means that the Defenders, in theory, could have a, a second season, but I don't know. A Heroes for Hire series, in theory, could happen, but I don't know. Which is what everybody's waiting for. They're waiting for the announcement of Heroes for Hire. More than likely, a Heroes for Hire series would probably be something that they'd want to do on Disney Play. I think that the big thing that they would want to do is do like a Marvel Knights-esque rollout because the defenders essentially is you look at the people from all these series right so you have 
Daredevil, bam. So you have Luke Cage, bam. Iron Fist, Jessica Jones. But the Defenders is also Hellcat, the woman who was super annoying in season two of Jessica Jones and kind of derailed the whole bunch of the B storylines. Um, the story with Jessica and the mom, it made sense. It worked. Then it stopped working. I think that season was too long. I think that season should have just been 10 episodes. Was it? Was it 13? If it was, it should have just been 10 episodes. Uh, there were a whole... I think that the same issue that I had with Jessica Jones Season 2 was the same issue that I had with Punisher. I don't think the Punisher series was well done. I think there were about three episodes that could have cut completely. There were characters that were around for too long. There were too many plots that didn't make sense. Him and the, the man's wife, the guy who was... Who was like looking in on his wife and like there was so much stuff. There was like there was so much fat that needed to be trimmed about the Punisher series. The way that they used Punisher and Daredevil worked perfectly. His beef with his beef with um Kingpin was so well done and and the pacing was fine and his relationship with Karen and all these other things worked so well that there was a huge drop off when it was just the Punisher which it shouldn't have been Luke Cage fell short in season one with the switch over from um, the two main villains Whereas we had an excellent depiction of a villain. When they killed Homie off and they brought on the next villain, he was kind of too over the top. He didn't really fit the role right. Some of the direction in which the show went, it kind of took us out like, wait, what, what, what just happened? Why did that happen? Like that, they could have done that way cleaner. So the way the first season ended had us like, uh, when we should have gone up on a high then season 2 it was promising promising but then they fell short in so many departments Um, one being Luke Cage never should have dabbed that never should have happened that immediately took me out I'm like wait what 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 another thing that didn't work was okay fine we're gonna have Bushmaster and we're going to be beefing with Jamaicans. The accent sounded like something out of a 1990s action film where you're fighting Steven Seagal. That shit didn't work. And you have to remember who your audience is. There are a whole bunch of black folks who had just come from seeing um, Wakanda on screen. And they're holding out all this high hope. For this Luke Cage series. And Black Lightning came out. And Black Lightning kind of surprised. I didn't expect Black Lightning to be that good. Black Lightning is going places. It's doing some things. And it's weird because I feel like the CW. Uh, DC shows. Have leveled off. And like if you look at shows like Arrow. Which is in the seventh season. Pretty much we're like what's happening here. Like, what's going on? Like, why is that show still on? Why hasn't that been canceled? What's going on with this show? So we needed something to stabilize it. 
And the thing was that so the Netflix Marvel show should have been able to execute. And season two of Luke Cage was disjointed. It was all over the place. There were a bunch of things that didn't really make sense. A bunch of characters we were waiting to develop. Uh, the relationship between Shades and and Mariah Dillard. What? Certain things were happening like what's going on here? Comanche being used but not really being used. Bushmaster being connected to Lady Nightshade who me is somebody who grew up reading the comic books in the 70s into the 80s was a little late on realize wait they're going to try to make her Lady Nightshade now contrast that with season 2 of Iron Fist where it hits me oh shit that's supposed to be um Typhoid Mary when Mary puts homegirl in a headlock out of nowhere bam that caught me as opposed to snapping me out of it when Luke Cage dabbed. I'm like, what What the fuck was that? And I'm like, yo! There were things that happened in Iron Fist Season 2 that was like the Red Sox coming back from down 3-0 to the New York Yankees when they lost Game 3, 19-8. That's how bad. Season 1 of... um. Iron Fist was the low point of the entire Netflix Marvel MCU. I didn't, I couldn't understand how a show could be that bad. The fighting be that bad. The dialogue be that bad. Me not care about this many characters. The things, the the dynamic between between the brother and sister, I didn't care about at all. Season two, all of a sudden, every scene they had together had all this emotional connection and and brought me deeper into the season and suddenly I was caring about what was happening between these two and and him trying to get her back in his life and those first just those first three episodes of the second season the second season of Iron Fist was so good that you could watch it on its own without having seen season one and you would have thought that Iron Fist was one of the top Marvel Netflix series whereas Jessica Jones season two went in the opposite direction where season one was so well executed and so well done and the villains was, uh, were so good and everybody was so excellent in their role. And even things were like deficiencies with Jessica where she can't really fight well. She just throws people around. She's not proficient at, at flying. She just she calls it like. Uh, calculated jumping or some shit like that where she just and then Luke Cage is in the series with her on some um Ghostface Raekwon type shit where he's somewhat trained in how to fight he's using like hop keto or keto moves you know he's like chopping and doing stuff and then throwing people and then like doing hand chops and shit like that and she's just just like all around so the um the contrast in their fighting styles was done consciously and it worked a lot of people were like how come she can't do this like because she's not a professional she's in by trade she's a detective she's not a fighter so she hasn't totally figured out what to do with her strength whereas luke cage who was in law enforcement and has been fighting before he even got the, the treatment figured out how to do these things with his strength He's trained his levels, you know, he's, he's, he's used to it. 
And I think that um, one of the good things that the defenders did was found a way to use all of these people, especially in that one fight scene in the hallway, and make it work so that all their different fighting styles and their contrasting styles worked. But what it did was when you watch the fight scenes in Daredevil, it immediately made you realize the deficiencies in the main character in first season of Iron Fist. And also one of the deficiencies was how much better Colleen Wing was as a martial artist when you use the eye test versus the main character who plays Danny Rand, the living weapon, you know, the protector of Kun Lun, the immortal Iron Fist. So in season two of Immortal Iron Fist, when they transfer the power from him to her, it's like they were listening to the audience. All the things that we complained about and they started to fix it going on into um, Defenders. One of the best scenes in Defenders, I believe it's in Defenders, is when um, Daniel Rand first meets Luke Cage. And Luke Cage pretty much tells him about himself, about his privilege and all this other stuff. Shit that the people who watched the season were screaming at the screen. And it was like, oh, okay, it's like the turnaround. They're listening to the fandom. And a lot of times when, people, when um, shows listen to the fandom, things work. And a lot of times it doesn't because the fandom's a bunch of fucking assholes. Now, also, you have to realize that they're the outside Marvel shows. So there are Marvel shows that exist that are not on Netflix. We have Runaways. Runaways season two happened on Hulu. Season um, season one happened on Hulu. It was pretty well done. I like the changes that they made from the comic book, which I feel were necessary. There are some things about Runaways in the comic book that always made people say, why don't they just do this? So they fixed that in the series. Again, listening to the fandom when it works, when the fandom actually knows what they're talking about. And they're not all dickheads. Um, and season two of Runaways is going to um, be on Hulu all at the same time. So it used to be a weekly series. You waited week after week after week after week. Now I think that all 10 episodes are going to be available on December 21st, 2018. Which is great because it's going to be around the holiday season. And everybody's going to be able to watch. Um, they already did... Uh, Freeform already did season one of Cloak and Dagger, which ran between um, June 7th and August 2nd, 2018, which was pretty well done. If me being a fan of Cloak and Dagger going back to 1983 or whatever, 82, when they first appeared in Spider-Man, the pages of Spider-Man and um, Tyrone being a black dude from my neighborhood in Boston, which they've always fucked up and said he was from South Boston. And we always knew they meant South End Boston because New Yorkers don't know shit about Boston. But they changed it, of course. I think I mentioned this before. And they moved the entire show to New Orleans and made Tyrone the rich one with both parents and Tandy the poor girl with a single parent who keeps running away from home. So they changed certain things, but the show still works, uh, though. The viewership has dropped with each successive episode, but already got um, they already got a second season, which is interesting. I guess it does better. And um DVRs or plus plus minus three plus minus seven, which is people who record the show and then watch it three to seven days after it originally airs. So that's enough to keep it on. And plus, like, I think that people like it as far as critically. So Freeform isn't really tripping. I feel like season two might be the make or break season.
for our cloak and dagger. The will they or won't they season with Tandy and um Tyrone. There's uh the um new warrior show, which also I believe has been shot and wrapped on Freeform that's going to debut in sometime in 2019. I'm guessing it's going to debut either right before Disney Play um, starts in fall 2019 or somewhere around there. But again, everybody who's waiting for Heroes for Hire to be announced or Daughters of the Dragon to be announced, which would be like a reboot and or pivot of those previous characters instead of having their original series they're all going to be together in this series. I'm not 100% sure that's going to happen. They might just go another direction and they might just start a series with Shang-Chi, uh, Master of Kung Fu, because it's a property that they haven't, you know, really dealt with yet. And they might have guest appearances by these characters. So I don't know exactly what Marvel Netflix plans are, but I do know that the shows that they already shot are going to still be on there. The old uh, Marvel movies that they had are still going to be on there. But going forward, everything else is going to be on the Disney Play streaming service, which is going to debut in fall 2019. The first two shows that they announced, or rumored to have announced, is a show based around Loki and another one around Scarlet Witch. I'm not sold on those. I'm just not. I feel like... Uh, they could really do more if they did some stuff with other characters or other properties. But yeah, that's those are my feelings on that. I'm not really as bothered as everyone else by these show cancellations because I kind of saw it coming. I know people wanted a third season of Luke Cage, but given how mixed the mixed bag between season one and season two, I don't think my heart could take a season three to see what they fell short in this time. And I know Chio Hadari Chikoker has done an excellent job in being a showrunner for the show, naming the shows after uh, song titles, uh, hip hop groups, uh, putting in all the black excellence that he did in the show. Um, bringing in people that don't even care about the, the the property of the IP and to become fans, rabid fans to the point where they're angry that the show isn't getting a third season and people who think that it's the best Marvel Netflix show. Clearly, they don't understand Marvel or any of that shit. Like, I don't look at these as comic book shows. I just look at them as adaptations of a popular property. Just like if it was a fucking book or a YA series. Or a science fiction series. Or a popular... Whatever kind of property you can imagine. I don't look at comic books as anything different. Because there are a lot of graphic novels... That came out that people don't even realize were graphic novels. Because those people never read the fucking graphic novels. All they go by is what they saw on screen. And unfortunately... As we've been told time and time again... What happens on the screen forms popular opinion because they never read the original source material, which is unfortunate. So that's my feelings on what's happening with the cancellations at the Marvel MCU and what have you. I'm not tripping. It is what it is. These shows will be on another 
format, another series, another whatever. These showrunners might get another chance. They might condense these shows. They might do something, go in another direction. It's all good. I'm, I'm not... I'm not up in arms. Now, another thing that happened recently is there was a talk that happened on um, Genius where Rob Markman asked, of all people, he asked Styles P and Dave East if lyricism was still important in rap. I immediately rolled my eyes to the back of my head because it's a bad question. If you're a journalist And you've grown up with this art form or this culture. And I mean the actual culture and the actual art form, not that watered down bullshit that they presented as as today in the um, mainstream media or the mainstream major label rap industry. I'm talking about its true core, the essence, what have you, what it actually is. So Rob Martman asked, he asked the bad question. The question he asks is, does lyricism matter? We're not going to get the answer we want with that question to these people. The question you should have asked, Rob, was why is it in this day and age in the mainstream space of rap and with the fans of it, doesn't lyricism matter anymore? Or at least why isn't it valued the same now or presents the same now as it did then. That's the question you needed to ask to get the answer you needed to. But we all know why he asked that question because we're not stupid. I hope we're not. The reason he asked that question is because it was going to create a conversation that centered genius and drove people to the fucking video. And it was going to rage on for days and days and days. And this isn't about journalism. This is about viewership. This is about clicks. This is about conversation. This is about ad revenue. So getting the answer to the actual question doesn't fucking matter anymore. If you wanted the answer to the question, you wouldn't have asked Dave East or Styles P. You would have talked to somebody who's an expert in the field, who's broken down the generations and the progression of the culture and the art form and the lens through which it's viewed. In short, you would have brought on people like me to genius to answer this question, but you didn't want the fucking answer. You just wanted people to talk. I I get it. It's a business. But this pisses me off to no fucking end. If you're going to ask a question, ask the right question. And if you're going to ask a question, the purpose of asking a question is to get a fucking answer. I don't understand why journalists aren't doing their jobs anymore, but I understand why they feel like it's not necessary to the same way why people don't want rappers or MCs to be good at their chosen profession or have any proficiency in their chosen profession. Journalism. I almost want to put air quotes on it is in the same boat. I'll be damned if I'm a journalist who asks a question and doesn't actually get to the root of the matter and try to get the question answered because it doesn't matter if the question gets answered. All that matters is you get your engagement. So 
let's really talk about the fucking question. Because on Twitter and social media, people have been arguing back and forth about lyricism and what lyricism means. And I'm learning that there are people that are thrusting themselves into the conversation that don't even understand what they're arguing about or why they're doing it. Which is sadder to me. Now, here's one of the issues. First, you have to look at the issue. Then you have to realize that you have to find something that's analogous to it to parallel it to. I'll give you something. Sports is perfect for this conversation as far as like something to weigh it against. Why? Because just like hip hop or rap, sports change as eras progress. Things change. The climate changes. There's a big sea change. There's a changing of the guard in terms of the players or the field or the competition or the key players. So this is what you look at when you're looking at how come things change. Asking the question, how come lyricism isn't valued in rap? mainstream rap music anymore the way it used to be is kind of like asking a similar question of how come there are no more scratched hooks on rap songs when you ask questions like that you're looking for an answer and you and when you want an answer you ask people who could answer the question for you you don't want it to just be a big ranging debate just on twitter because no one's ever going to give you a definitive answer but that's not what you want you don't want the answer you want the engagement you want the talk That's your job. Your job is to get people talking. I like answers. Because I'm fucking smart. Because I like information. Because I'm a fucking journalist. And a historian. When I ask questions, I want to get a definitive answer. Or lead me to the definitive answer. Now. When you look at what happened between 1997 till now. It's obvious why lyricism, and I'm using air quotes, because there is no one way to define what lyricism is. Why? Because there's no one way to be a lyricist. If you're from one section of the country or one region of the country, your lyrics or your lyricism or the way it presents or your style isn't going to mirror somebody from another region, at least when regional rap mattered. Before the age of the uh, real-time social media, when everything just blended together so you could live in one part of the country and mimic what's going on in New Orleans. Whereas before, you had to be either in or around New Orleans in order to get that. You know how long it was before Crunk left Memphis and Atlanta? No longer existed. Do you know how long... The Harlem aesthetic existed before everybody else was dressing like them years later. Do you know how long D-boys were wearing white tees and standing on street corners in Atlanta? Or the trap existed in Atlanta, people talking about the trap before we started talking about the trap? This is the issue. When the business changed... 
Everything else changed to accommodate the business. The business never gave a fuck about lyricism, air quotes. All they cared about was moving units. However it was done, that's all that mattered. The same way where at one time in journalism, the answer mattered. But then it didn't matter just the engagement. So along those same lines, that's why lyricism no longer matters in rap. Because if lyricism generated income like it did between 1986 and 1996, then it never would have changed. All right? Now, there's success, and then there's what you do to gain success. And then there are the pitfalls or the, or the things that are keeping you from them. When you play a sport, there are peaks and valleys. And then there's a player or players or a gang of players or coaches who change the game where everyone else has to adapt. The player that did that on defense was a man named Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor was a linebacker who ran a 4-6-40. And he changed the way the game was played forever. When he broke Joy, Joe Theismann's leg, when he got that first payday, when the Giants were winning Super Bowls based off their defense, which featured him, it changed the game for everybody. When we had those triumvirates of MCs starting in 1977 through 1979 with Melly Mel, who became Grandmaster Melly Mel, Casanova Fly, who became Grandmaster Kaz, and Cool Mo D, starting between that era. Then we had the second triumvirate starting at the uh, inception of the first golden era, where we had Rock Allah or Kid Wizard Rock him before that. Then we had Cool G Rap. Then we had Big Daddy Kane, who became the part of the second triumvirate. And we also, we tend to leave out KRS-One, who also should be in, involved in that group. You know, there were a whole bunch of other people around them. But then we come to the third triumvirate, which people talk about, which kind of kicked off the second golden era, even though one of them didn't become popular until after really popular until after it was already over and that's Biggie Jay-Z and Nas who Jay-Z himself mentioned in his song Where I'm From Biggie's Biggie first came to prominence 1991 December 1991 via the um the Stretch and Bobbito show freestyling and also he got the uh, write up in the source uh as unsigned hype then he started doing appearances on radio here and there then he was on the song a bunch of niggas on um the 1992 album by heavy d blue funk one of the greatest rap albums ever made that people really don't talk about in that realm in that space it's sad you know then you have nas who first appeared uh on live at the barbecue on the 1991 album Breaking Adams by Main Source and then did, did guest guest appearances back to the grill again, you know. He did the song Halftime on the on the um the Zebrahead soundtrack, which people keep fucking up and saying that the soundtrack 
that the date for the single is the date of the soundtrack's release. No, the single came out at least two weeks before the soundtrack. Get that shit straight, please. Um, and then, of course, you you have um, Jay-Z, who was, you know, popping around that time, doing freestyles, touring with Jay, um, touring with uh, Big Daddy Kane. Later on, he did, like, guest appearances, Can I Get Open? You know, he was on Time to Build, all these other shits. He was on the radio with um, Big L when he went and did the freestyle on Stretching Bob. But when you look at these things, you realize that, all right, those are the guys who changed emceeing and lyricism going forward. And there were divergent paths, you know, and and branches that broke out from them and what they brought to the field. And they made the field change the way they approach the music. Okay, so that's what you do. You go and look for these things. It's very easy to go and look. Where is it that on the radio, we weren't looking for people to rapidly rap rap anymore? And if you read any magazine, any hip hop or rap magazine, it says it right there in your face between 1997 and 1998. Producers like the Trackmasters or whoever you can imagine were telling rappers You have to stop doing the shit you were doing before. You have to slow it down. You have to come up with hooks that my daughter or her friends will sing. Or we have to do this shit for the club. It's right there in your face. It's not hard to find if you were actually looking. And the thing is that I'm pretty sure that anybody who asks this question who's past a certain age already knows the answer. Because you lived through it. Rob Markman used to be an artist. His name was BK Safe. There's a reason why he never got on, for whatever reason. And he decided to fall back into journalism. I used to be an artist. And then I started doing management, had my own label. And then I was on the underground and I saw what was happening. I actually had a discussion with DJ Spinner about this back at the hip hop, I mean the Harvard Hip Hop Archive years ago when he came to visit about exactly what happened. During that time, between 1997 and 2002, when the money started drying up, even for remixes, and there was this oversaturation, and we our our distribution chain like um, Fat Beats and um, Sandbox and all these other things just started getting oversaturated with too many singles because the technology made it possible for everybody to put shit out. They didn't even have to go to a studio studio anymore to record. You know, so. When you, if you just look at the radio or what happened on um, Viacom owned video channels, the people that were lyricism based, whatever that meant, were not popular anymore. They weren't at the forefront anymore because that wasn't the sound or the way to get the audiences or generate the income. So then people started clowning it and calling it throwback. We all saw it happen. So it's disingenuous to ask the question, does it still matter? The question we should be asking is, how come you're not doing anything to keep it there? What does genius do to highlight those Artists who are supposed lyricists. 
or keep the art alive, whatever the fuck that means. I look at the way people treat lyricism and hip hop and real hip hop the same way that I do old baseball writers. The most curmudgeon-y motherfuckers on the planet are old baseball writers. Me as somebody who believes in tradition and excellence and not compromising what that is. I look at the Baseball Hall of Fame and I shake my head nonstop. There are about at least 50 people who should be in the Baseball Hall of Fame who I think are no longer eligible to be in the Baseball Hall of Fame anymore because they didn't get voted in past a, um, past a certain amount of time and they are deserving. But because they hold up this automatic BAM standard, you have to have this many, this many of this, this many of this, this many of this, without first looking at their errors that they competed in and looking at the stretch of time that they competed and looking at the field and looking at the people that they played against. How I look at who should have made it to the Baseball Hall of Fame is how I look at the golden errors, especially the second golden era and the intermediate period before the first one, 1990 to 1997. How I look at how the source rated albums during those stretches, which were the most competitive stretches in rap history. The source could give an album three, three and a half mics. Because the thing is that you could release six to eight classic albums after the fact in a month. I did a piece on Medium about Jizz's uh, Liquid Swords. In the piece, I outlined all the albums that came out around the same time or the immediate era space that Liquid Swords was released in 1995. If you go back and look at that piece and count all those albums, how many of those albums are considered classics now? When you drop classic after classic after classic after classic after classic after classic, to the person at the time, it's just, oh, this tape's dope, this tape's dope, this tape's dope, this tape's dope, this tape's dope. And if all these fucking tapes are dope, you can't buy all of them. And one isn't necessarily better than the other. It's about your preference. So three and a half, 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 four, three and a half, three and a half, four, three and a half, four. Or three. Three, three, three and a half, three and a half, three, three and a half, four, three and a half. It's a one mic off. It's all based on preference. So that's how an album like Smith & Wesson's The Shining can get a three in the source. But then we fast forward and we're like, what the fuck were they listening to? This album's a classic years later after the smoke is gone. And when we're sitting in 1998, where the mainstream rap albums that come out are not on that level as they were in 94, 95 and 96. Constant. It's almost like if you play on a team and it's one of the all time great teams and you have scrimmages. And your scrimmages are at such a high level, you don't realize how good you are until you play another team and you blow them out by 20. And you're like, oh, shit. I had tougher games in practice against my teammates. It's the same thing. It's the same principle. And that's why the Baseball Hall of Fame pisses me off because they have these in stone, bam, standards. You need this many hits, this many RBIs, this many stolen bases, this on on base percentage. 
Dude, let's go back to the fucking years that these people played and look at who were the best in each field. And let's do the use the eye test or go through it. And I've seen a lot of baseball writers do this and break it down like by these that by this thought, he was one of the best of his time period, and his time period is one of the best in all of baseball. So why isn't this motherfucker in the Hall of Fame? Like there's a real argument for it. And then when I, I did a piece one time where I broke down how crazy the bait football Hall of Fame is. And I'm like, I just put up numbers and I put up numbers and I put up years and I put up splits. And I was like, is this person, <laughs> does this person be in the Hall of Fame? And everybody was like, no, 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 no. I put up about six to ten people. And guess what? All of them were in the Hall of Fame. Then I put up a splits of people that were in the basketball Hall of Fame. Does this person deserve the Hall of Fame? No, they are bench warmer. They can't even shoot. They never did anything. This motherfucker's in the Hall of Fame. That's Casey Jones. I just put up uh, Bob Cousy's uh, shooting percentage. This is what Bill Russell shot from the free throw line. You know? When you take things out of context or don't put them in their proper context, you can make an argument for anything. But the eye test or what they did against the competition of that era changes the conversation. So context matters more than anything. But the only time context matters more than anything is when someone really digs deep and looks for it. Why? Because they want the actual fucking answer to the question. They genuinely want an answer to the question. When you genuinely want an answer to the question, the first thing you have to do is ask the right question that will lead to getting a definitive answer. The only time you ask a bad question is when the answer doesn't matter. Remember that. I want the fucking answer more than anything else.